This episode is brought to you by Blueprint Renovate Program, the program designed to create space in your firm to cultivate mindset change through what you do every day. Visit blueprinthq.com.au slash contact to start the conversation. Welcome to the In Demand Accountant. I'm your host, Sam Dean, and I'm excited to have you here to explore efficient and effective frameworks for implementation of change so we can stay in demand, build business mastery, and meet any kind of disruption that comes to us. All notes and links can be found at blueprinthq.com.au forward slash podcasts. Enjoy the show and get curious on what we can do as an industry going forward. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the In Demand Accountant. I'm Sam Dean. On this episode, I'm thrilled to share an interview with Robin Jacobson from the Tax Institute with you. Now, I read through her hard bio in the beginning of the interview, so I won't repeat that here, but I will let you know that today's episode is just part one of this fabulous conversation. So make sure you hit subscribe in your podcast app and come back next week to hear the second part of this interview. In this episode, Robin and I chat about our mutual passion for the accounting industry, the important role tax agents play in our world generally, and why they are absolutely been the unsung heroes of this pandemic. Plus, Robin shares not only some really amazing stats about the role of accountants in our society, but also the best analogy I've heard about JobKeeper. So I think you'll really get a lot out of this episode. Without any further ado, enjoy part one of my interview with Robin Jacobson. Well, good morning, afternoon and hello wherever you are today. I'm super excited to have what I think is one of the leading thought influences, particularly around the tax legislation and requirements in our industry at the moment, Robin Jacobson. She's a senior advocate of the Tax Institute. She's really well known in tax training service and having been a professional tax trainer for 23 years, with regular um, conference and webinar presenters. And I must say through COVID, Robin's drops on LinkedIn is what we relied on, particularly around her, the framework of her diagrams and everything that made me even be able to understand (laughs) JobKeeper. So we really appreciated her work. I hadn't met her yet, but that was one of the reasons I really wanted to meet her. So after nearly three decades in the profession, she's not quite admitting to three yet. And Robin's public practice background uh, preceded her roles with Webb Martin, her own business, Syntax and Tax tax Banter. Robin is a chartered tax advisor with the Tax Institute, a fellow of both CAANZ and CPA Australia, and is a registered taxation. She's based in Melbourne at the moment and obviously enjoying all the challenges um, right now that that is bringing to her and is involved in a number of the Tax Institute committees and is the immediate past chair of the CPA's Australian Victorian Public Practice Committee. Robin regularly consults with the Treasury, the ATO and other professional bodies and technical issues, including as a member of the ATO's Tax Practitioner Stewardship Group. She's an absolute advocate and social media commentator, commonless blogger and podcaster, and is regularly quoted in the media. Robin was recognised in the Women in Finance Awards 2019 as the winner of the Thought Leader of the Year and was named as the Global top 50 women in accounting in 2009 as well. 
She's recently been recognised in the Australian Accounting Awards in 2020 as the winner of both the Thought Leader of the Year and Accountants Daily Excellence Award. Well, we are, as I said, super happy to have Robin here today. As I think, I think she's one of the biggest, big influences in it, particularly around the tax protection compliance pieces. And I'm so looking forward. We have a bit of commonality. I decided that at 14 that I was going to be a chartered accountant and Robin indeed decided at 15 that she was going to be an accountant. So we're both very passionate women who um, want to talk about the accounting industry and where we think it's going and some of the challenges coming up. So welcome, Robin. Um, thank you so much for being here today. And first of all, hear a bit of that in your own words, and um, then we'll jump into some, I think, seriously interesting questions. Thank you, Sam, and hello, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. Um, yes, we do go back a long time in terms of our passion for this industry. So I was in my first accounting class at the age of 15, and the accountant wrote up on the board, assets equals liabilities plus equity, and I think I was sold at that point. In love. <laughs> Absolutely. So, look, I've spent a number of years in public practice and I've uh, spent a, a period of over 20 years as a professional tax trainer through different roles, uh, most recently with Tax Banter. And uh, just a couple of months ago, I moved across to the Tax Institute to take on a, a wonderful new challenging role as senior advocate. Fantastic. And it's, it's that role that I really would like to explore with you today and, um, you know, really get into some topics on how we can make the industry within demand accountants, but the industry very much um, in demand going forward into the next decade or two, because we still want to be passionate in the next 30 decades on what we do. So I'm going to start off straight into the questions and then we'll choose some part on the way around it. So the first one I really want to drill down on is, as an industry, we talk and spend a lot of time on how important is the great training and knowledge and the technical aspect of what we do. But if our end user market doesn't understand or value, we risk becoming undervalued and perhaps in the future irrelevant. What are your thoughts as a fierce advocate for our industry about what needs to be done for the market's understanding of our value, you know, first at an industry level, and then perhaps if you could drill down into the firm level and individual accountant level? Big question, but let's have a crack at it. Of course, there's quite a bit to unpack here. Yes. So I would start by saying tax touches everything in our world. Mm -hmm. It builds roads. It ensures our community have parks and playgrounds. It looks after our vulnerable citizens. So it's important for us to be active and transparent about communicating what taxes actually do for people and the role that the profession plays in making that happen. The profession has a significant role in the tax system, and I just want to touch on a number of aspects of, of where we play such an important role. Just with some basic numbers, we often refer to tax agents as intermediaries. So when we're talking to the ATO, the intermediary is the tax agent who sits between the tax office as the administrator, as the revenue collector, the administrator, and the taxpayers themselves. So as intermediaries, about 75% of individual taxpayers use a tax agent. Oh, wow. And that's you may wish to go searching for this elsewhere, but I believe that's only second in the world after Italy. So we've got a very high proportion of our population that uses a tax agent. Now, is that for reassurance or is that because our system is just so complex? Around 95% of businesses use a tax agent. Yep. So that touch point between the individuals and the business community and the tax agent community is really significant. Yes. 
And, and that role is, is not only important, it's absolutely essential to the way that our tax system operates. Why is our system so complex? Look, we've had continual legislative amendments by successive governments for more than four decades. And this has now resulted in a set of rules and regulations and, and binding and non-binding guidance that comes from the ATO. And I think we all agree it's unwieldy and it's inefficient and the system's in desperate need of reform. And I'll talk more about that later. But if we talk about the complexity of the system, it's so difficult to navigate your way through the tax law now that seeking advice from an agent is not just encouraged, it's, it's almost essential. Yeah. yeah Maybe a, a wage earner with a bit of interest and a few work-related expenses can manage without an agent. But even work-related expenses has become such a focus area for the ATO. Hmm. We claim something like $21 billion a year in work-related expenses. And with the increased focus from the ATO, because it has been apparent that over many years there has been overclaiming by some, and whether that was intentional or inadvertent, um, I'll leave that for others to judge. But certainly that focus by the ATO has maybe shone a light on why it is necessary to start talking to a tax agent and, and why that role is so important. To give you an idea of another aspect of why agents are so important, tax disputes. Now, they're about, I'm talking about the 18-19 uh, income year. These are statistics that come from the ATO. Around 37 million returns were lodged with the ATO that year. So for the 18-19 year, 37 million returns. Now that will be tax returns, it will be activity statements, it will be FBT returns, all sorts of information that is lodged with the ATO. Out of that, there were 26,000 objections. Now it's less than 0.1%, so it's actually a, a minuscule proportion of what is actually lodged, but nonetheless, there were 26,000 objections. And when there is a tax dispute, inevitably the taxpayer involved will need to seek advice. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that's from a tax agent, an accountant, or they indeed engage the, the services of a lawyer, uh, it's going to be unusual that a taxpayer would be self-represented. Mm -hmm. And particularly if they're going to work their way through the court system if they decide to appeal it further. So tax disputes is another area where, of course, there's a role to play. More recently, the COVID-19 pandemic now, this is just the way the system was designed. And look, Sam, you and I could talk at length about the health aspects and the lockdown and so on. But if we just confine our discussion to the tax side. There are plenty people doing that. <laughs> the government deliberately designed their financial assistance through the stimulus package. And that package, of course, took the form of a number of measures. Mm -hmm. So we've got the instant asset write-off. We've got early access to super. There's the cash flow boost and, of course, the big JobKeeper program, which um, just last week they announced they're going to extend it for a further six months, albeit in a, a slightly different form. So because the government chose to deliver this assistance through the tax system, the tax professionals have been the unsung heroes in all of this. We talk about the health professionals at the front line, and I don't take anything away from what they are doing. But the other group of heroes in this pandemic are the tax professionals mm -hmm. who have worked not just long hours, that's going to be an understatement, um, relentless hours since the end of March, 80, 100 plus hour weeks are not unusual for the profession, who have been working seven days a week, dedicating themselves to their clients, often without charging for it, so that they could explain the measures, the eligibility rules, enrol their clients, ensure the wage conditions are met, follow up when payments may not have come through as expected from the ATO, 
and deal with all the confusion. And on top of that, there've been all the mental health issues, the worry, the anxiety, the concern of their clients, and they've had to be counsellors and friends as well as professionals. Hmm. Um, hats off to every single tax professional who has been involved in this, and that's going to be everyone across the, the country um, in the profession. It's been an enormous effort and it's not over yet. And I just want to acknowledge publicly the effort that they've done. It would be great if the governments and our political leaders could also make similar acknowledgements. Yeah. What do you think we can do about that? Because I think that's so important. I mean, basically, they put a social security system through our guys, through the accountants, and I don't think they're getting the acknowledgement. I know that there has been some work done on that, but is there anything you think that any of the institutions can do about that? Or do you just think, you know, the accountants... I notice a lot of talk about it within accountants groups themselves, but I feel that, you know, there has to be advocacy actually into the market. And given that you have spoken, you know, with Treasury and stuff on other matters, is there any way we could help or what do you suggest we could do or the accountants would do or people such as myself and yourself, like what we could actually do on this? <laughs> Apart from, you know, getting Look, that, what, what we're talking about right now out as well, of course. I think any commentators can acknowledge the effort that's been put in by the accounting profession and, and I include the lawyers in that who've been part of the tax yeah, profession yeah. because they've equally been working um, as hard on all of this. Look, just to give you some sense of this, the Tax Institute took out a full page ad in the Financial Review a few weeks ago and that was to say thank you to the profession for their efforts. Now, public statements like that go a long way to making the public aware mm. of what the profession has been doing for them. Now, an individual accountant can certainly say, look, I'm working really hard or I'm doing this for you, but it's hard to turn around to political leaders, particularly through uh, the formal consultations that we're involved in, and say, look, you really should be doing some more public acknowledgement and thank you <laughs> as a profession. And it's not the sort of thing where you can tell people yeah. to say that. I hope through all of this we do get some further acknowledgement of that, but certainly commentators through podcasts and blogs and, and media articles and, and other commentary can make those statements clear. Okay, cool. I think we'll call out to some fellow podcasters and um, see what we can do, maybe a couple of LinkedIn Lives and stuff as well that gets actually into the SMEs, LinkedIn's as well as not just, you know, within our industry because I think that everyone in our industry has definitely acknowledged what a fabulous job everyone's doing right now. Just to put some colour on this as well, to give you a sense of the scale of the assistance and how far-reaching this is across the community, cash flow boost, around $16 billion in payments and 750,000 employers have received benefits through this. The JobKeeper scheme... How many employers? Yes, I can. So it's more than $16 billion in payments yep. and more than 750,000 employers have received assistance. In three to four months. Yes. Now, that's just cash flow boost. Mm -hmm. JobKeeper, of course, the figure is bigger, and this was always going to be the case because of the scale of it. More than 960,000 businesses and not-for-profits. More than 3.5 million individuals have been covered by JobKeeper. And these figures are at the 16th of July. Payments under the JobKeeper program have totaled more than $30 billion. And they're estimating by the time we get to the September program, as in by the end of the current program, I should say, uh, that will be around $70 billion. And having just uh, now announced they'll be extending it through to March of next year, that will add a further $16 billion. So a total of about $86 billion just for JobKeeper. These are big numbers, aren't they? Over a short period. Yeah, huge I think the government, I mean, has done a good job as well. I think that um, people are feeling good, but 
I think that we really need to have our eye on the ball as we come into September, October, and then further on as well, because, you know, there's certainly some businesses out there who have relied on it, as you said, and I think those businesses are reflecting it. And then what can we actually do then to help those businesses who we know are going to have problems because they were having problems before this started. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting space to watch and maybe we'll catch up at the end of the year too. And, you know, we love our numbers, so <laughs> look, at, look at some of that. But And I think we'll be having the same conversation about accountants because I think that will just be stellar all the way through. And it's an interesting conversation about whether JobKeeper is keeping businesses alive that are on life support and this is their lifeline. Are there businesses that really are only being kept alive through this and maybe shouldn't continue? Are there some that desperately need it and will survive and this will be their, their lifeline to get them through to next year? We talk about the September cliff and now we've got this March cliff mm. because a lot of the government assistance is now being pushed out through till March. And it's going to be interesting to see, firstly, where the health pandemic sits mm. by that time mm. and also economically, is there any sign of recovery? Are we still in dire straits and, and have we got all these negative and red numbers everywhere? Or is this an opportunity where maybe early next year we can start to regrow and, and start to recover and go uh, back to where we were before? We always talk about this new normal. This has been the expression for the last few months. What does the new normal look like? We don't know yet. I think our new normal is disruption. I think that we need to just, we have to really get agile that we need to start, you know, thinking that there is going to be disruption and we will need to, um, particularly as an industry, be able to be a lot more agile, you know, going forward um, as a lot of other businesses who have gone through disruption. But I think everyone's going to go through disruption and I think that's our new normal. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know something's going to happen and, you know, get that agility going and the planning around it. Because it was interesting that the new CEO of CA, I'm going to call it <laughs> the Institute because I'm, old and I don't like that new name um, <laughs> um you know in the financial review a few weeks ago I was talking about just that zombie companies and they're thinking about 21 to 25 percent and you know I've seen this when I've been working in accounting firms I used to do a lot of recovery work so when they didn't have that work I've looked at a few businesses that are definitely that like and then we've had them in ready to go into liquidation or whatever this has come along or voluntary liquidation and they've gone, we can get through with this. And it's, yes, you can get through, but now is a better time. So these are some of the conversations as accountants we need to start being having, I think, as well, because let's get them through as safely as we can. And there is a big stats, you know, pre-COVID on the limping economy, the limping businesses who do limp. And you've seen, we've all got them in our databases that every year lurch to lurch that they have to come out double strong coming out of this because they don't have to pay JobKeeper and everything back, but they do have to pay all the deferments back. And then the banks have been great and all of that. This has to happen. And if they were weak coming in, they have to double up. And can you double up in this environment? And there's so many better ways to get people out. The mental and psychological safety of getting somebody out in a, in a situation like this, which has been outside their control, I think is really important to think about. And we'll talk about the skills that people might need later on but that is one of the skills that we need to develop as well. So, yeah, that's just my thoughts on it. I agree. And I think it's also important to understand primarily what JobKeeper was designed to do. And the best analogy I can give you is a saucepan of boiling water on the stove. Now, a saucepan that is bubbling away on the boil is a healthy economy. Yep. But the gas has had to be turned off. And the government knew that if they turned the gas off literally, 
the water goes cold and it takes a long time to bring that saucepan back to the boil again. So what they've done through JobKeeper is just turn down the gas to a simmer. Yeah. By keeping it lukewarm, it's much easier and takes less time to bring it back to the boil than if it was stone cold water. And that's the best way I can describe JobKeeper to you. It was designed to keep businesses basically alive. It's called health support, yeah. life support, yeah. if you want to call it that. It also kept alive the relations between the employer and the employee. So instead of dismissing them, terminating them, ending their employment, they could keep them on the books. We'll give you some money, said the government, to keep them on the books, even though they can't work any hours because due to your particular industry, you might be a gym, for example, you've had to close your doors. But it keeps that relation going, so it's much easier to resurrect it when the time comes. And I think it's been a very clever design. I think that's the best way I've ever seen heard JobKeeper. It makes so much sense. And we need to keep that in mind going forward so that we can we can also help our clients keep the and that they understand that. And I think for all your accountants out there, that was an unbelievable way to message. So I'm sure Robin, you won't mind that people use that same analogy going forward. I think that that's a, a great analogy because I think we get so involved sometimes, particularly in our day to day, that we're not looking at the purpose as to why JobKeeper is. We're just trying to make sure that that if you can understand why and you can get your clients to understand why, then the value of actually trying to get us from an advisory point of view, getting the, the water warming up again will really help when we want to get those extra services and out to them coming out the other end. And those services probably start need to start happening now and you've got to parallel it so you know with whatever crap's coming with this new JobKeeper and then whatever comes after that. I mean, eventually the government will have to turn it right down <laughs> and hope that they've just got it out. And I think they're doing a great job. I think that our government's doing a great job both in the health and the finance areas. They're doing the best they can. I agree. And I would add that there has been a lot of perplexity around why some people have missed out when maybe morally they shouldn't have mm -hmm. and others have benefited when maybe morally they shouldn't. And this has just been design features. Mm -hmm. They had to draw the line somewhere and some people have fallen within the boundaries and others have fallen outside. And that design divide in the way the law's been put together doesn't necessarily line up with the whether there has or hasn't been a decline due to COVID. So we've seen businesses that are eligible because turnover was declined by the requisite percentage compared to last year, but it wasn't due to COVID. And then others have been able to qualify for one month or one quarter, the businesses recovered and yet they're still entitled to it because that's the current design. And that's been hard for some people to get their head around where they hear the public messaging from the government at the media conferences and through the releases, go to their accountant and say, well, I'm supposed to be getting all this because the government tells me I can. And then the accountant has the unenviable task of explaining to their client why, sorry, you're not eligible and this is because you don't fit within these particular design rules. It's a hard thing to explain and a hard thing to hear. Yeah. And I think too, we've got to also, from, this is the biggest piece of legislation ever dropped in the shortest period of time. So inevitably, these things were going to happen and, and hopefully they got it mostly right, which, you know, and we- I think they did. Yes, I think they did. Um, and there is going to always be individual cases. And, you know, for, for not, and we've got a few people who are outside our industry, you know, who listen to this podcast too, please be understanding that the accountants aren't the legislation writers either. They're the deliverers. And not the ATO. Yeah. 
the government writes the law, not the tax office. So often people will have a go at the ATO and say, well, you know, you've done this and you didn't do this properly. There may be issues with the way they administer the law, and I won't go down that path today, but the way the law is designed rests solely with Treasury and the government. Yes, absolutely. Very good. Fantastic. Well, I think we might slip to the next one, which is more around the skills that we need. And I think we mentioned a few of those actually in that session as well. So one of my foundational beliefs is that accountants should be and sit as the central, we call it central advisor, but the term previously and is used now is the trusted advisor. Now you said a great stat early on is that 95% of businesses have tax agents. But what's really interesting since I started doing this work in the last 10 years is that we see ourselves as that trusted advisor might be because of that stat, but every year Homeside and Scottish Finance, which is of NAB, does the SME Trusted Advisor Survey. And when I started this, 54% of SMEs had a trusted advisor, of which 48% was us, so we're very top. Now, the 2017, it was 16.1 as Trusted Advisor, and this was in the Financial Review 2017. And now it's 16.1, and then we're still top, 9.1% consider their accountants as trusted advisor. So we've got a complete flip. So accountants, they're coming to us for tax, 95% of SMEs, but you flip that to only 9.8% or 9.1% come to us for, you know, to be that central person. And what's probably more disturbing as for the professional services generally is that you know it's only 16.1% overall have some kind of central advisor. So you've got this very disconnected advice and you know the SME sitting in the middle getting non-holistic or advice at all and not having that central person who's kind of bringing it together for them. And that that is a rapid drop in that. So um, my belief is that we need to strengthen our hard skills around strong relationship and conversation skills. We need to be in that position because of our technical skills and because of our link to everything and our overview that we see the finances and because of the 95% stat, because we have most SMEs in our database and individuals, 75%. That surprised me. I thought that would be lower, but that's a great stat too. And then how can we become more central? So, Robin, I'd like to think about that because I know that you have some of those skills that we talked about and you, you talked about them earlier as well, particularly the conflict resolution and the what we call feedback, the difficult conversation skills and all that stuff. We actually grow and strengthen relationships. We shouldn't avoid them. And what are your thoughts on the skills that we need? Because we can't give up our technical skills either, but how do we bloom them together as opposed to just concentrating on one side? It's a great conversation and it's really interesting those banking surveys that you refer to which place the accountant so low on the trusted advisor because oh, no, my perception, and I'm not just a bad, we're still way up high but on a very diminished list. <laughs> yes, understand. Because my perception, and I've been and worked and been part of the accounting profession for, for nearly three decades, is that the accountants are often the holistic advisor they have a grasp on nearly every aspect of their client's business, whether it be the investment decisions they're making, the business decisions, their personal lives, estate planning. So there are a whole range of things which accountants get involved in and, and understand their clients' lives and decision-making and processes. So absolutely, so let's break down some of these skills. It's a given that the technical needs to be there. So I don't think we need to linger there. Um, I'm 
not going to. We know our guys are cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's essential and it needs to be there. Other skills, look, I think we're getting into some interesting areas where, apart from the pure technical, communication has long been one of the so-called soft skills that are needed. But I consider myself a communicator. You know, I might be an accountant, I might have the title of senior advocate, but at its very core, my role is a communicator. Whether that be written, verbal, presenting, writing, recording, blogs, podcasts, it is taking the highly technical information and then turning it into plain English or language that people can understand. And that's what I've spent my career doing. So communication is a huge one. But these days we've got the need for IT skills. And when people say they're good at office, okay, again, that's a given. We, when we talk about IT skills, we need to talk about social media skills. And I'll talk more about social media later. But this is a, a very important element of it. The ability to use different platforms. Increasingly, the government is moving to a digital environment. Businesses and advisors have had to move with that. Now, some have gone willingly, some have been at the forefront of that. Mm -hmm. Others have been dragged kicking and screaming along the way. And when we look at all the cloud-based services we've got, and it's servers like your, your Dropbox and your OneDrives and so on, the cloud-based accounting software, your, your MyObs and your Zeros, just to name the, the big brands out there. The role of STP reporting with single-touch payroll is now this real-time way that payroll data is communicated to the ATO. And all that was brought in not just to give the ATO this big data and, and big brother insights over what businesses are doing. It increases efficiencies. It means the data can be repurposed and used for other things without having to re-report things. MyGovID, which I know there'll be a lot of eyes rolling at this one, but <laughs> did you have to mention Yes, it has been brought in. <laughs> it has replaced the OzKey. We just need to accept that. But that has brought in these not just new skills, but new platforms that we've had to adapt to. And we spoke earlier about firms needing to adapt to changing conditions. This is a huge area where if they don't continue to adopt the new technologies, they're just going to get left behind. And it's not just about work papers. I'll add to all this the pandemic. How many businesses overnight, and I'm talking within the space of a few days or a week, transform their businesses to make them online? Now, at the time I was working still with Tax Banter in my training role, face-to-face -face sessions became online sessions. The Tax Institute, along with the other professional bodies, have moved events that used to happen face-to-face -face, and we dearly want to get back to that as soon as we can. But we've had to accept this new paradigm. This reality is we have to do things in this digital environment. I'm speaking to you this way. We would have loved to catch up in person. Hopefully we can soon. So, the way that the ATO has moved from the old portal mm -hmm. to the ATO online services for agents. These are new platforms. This is the way we are doing things. So the ability to adapt to these new technologies and environments and adopt the, the new technologies is really, really important. Well, that wraps up part one of this interview, which I'm sure you'll agree is just a brilliant conversation so far. Make sure you hit subscribe in our podcast app so that next week's episode will download automatically and you won't miss out on part two of my conversation with Robin. We talk about more skills accountants need going forward, including areas of mental health and conflict resolution, as well as how the ageing population in the society will impact the ageing population of our industry. 
Robin also tells why communication is so important and why social media is no longer optional but core to our communications and credibility with clients right now. So come back next week for that. It's going to be a great episode. And in the meantime, remember, be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. To check out more information on all things Sandine and Blueprint, go to the website blueprinthq.com.au. And remember, continue the conversation and be brave. See you next time.